Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5, as we continue our series walking through the book of Acts, looking at how God and through God's Holy Spirit is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, the church being formed, lives being changed. Acts chapter 5, we'll begin at verse 27, Acts chapter 5. Beginning at verse 27, where Luke writes, remembering that Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. When they, meaning Peter and the disciples, had brought them, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, The first time the word Savior is used here in Acts. That we might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up and ordered the men to be put outside for a short time. Then he said to them, Fellow Israelites, consider carefully what you propose to do to these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and disappeared. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up at the time of the census and got people to follow him. He also perished, and all who followed were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. Because if this plan or this understanding is of human origin, it will fail. But if this is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In that case, you may even be found fighting against God. They were convinced by him. And when they called in the apostles, they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. As they left the council, they rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. And every day, In the temple and at home, they did not cease to teach and proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for this opportunity to study it together. 
And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It is not always easy for us to stand up for what we believe. And it's not always easy for us just to stand up for who we are. Just our very being, our essence, our character. Just just to be able to be ourselves. It's not easy sometimes for us to even be just authentic today. I mean, we, we start pretty young making decisions or changing our behaviors based on what we think other people think. I mean, it's amazing how young this starts. I mean, just, just look at, at young children, small children. They may have this favorite hair bow or this favorite dress or this favorite shirt or these favorite shoes that, that they just dearly love and, and they think they're the greatest thing in all the world and then one day they wear it out in public somewhere and, and some other kid at school or at preschool or somewhere else says something, makes fun of them about whatever it is that they're wearing and, and, and it is gone. It's gone. Even though it may have been the favorite, I'm not wearing that again. I'm not doing that Again, and youth, wow, youth have, have it rough. I remember when our kids were teenagers, and, and teenagers today, I mean, it, it's just not easy to try to be authentic and try to be yourself and, and try to be real because there's so much pressure. I mean, there's, there's the in-group, and then there's everybody else. I find it interesting sometimes when I'm you know, working with a couple that, that may be getting ready to get married and we're spending some time getting to know each other. And, and you know, they tell me a little bit about yourselves and, and, and sometimes you'll hear them go, well, I was never part of the popular group. Isn't that interesting? Even as young adults now, we still remember when I was in school, there was the group and then there was us. But I wasn't part of that. And it, and it impacts us. It, it affects us. I mean, we... We try so hard to be part of the group. And, and I remember many times asking my kids, you know, why is it that, that we give so many other people power over our lives? Why do we care so much about what somebody else thinks? Because sometimes it's interesting, we want to be part of a group when we don't even like the people in the group. But because they're the group, we want to be in the group. And we even allow it to determine how we're going to act. How we're going to treat other people. Well, you can't be their friend if you're my friend. Wow. We now allow someone else to have enough power over our lives that they can determine who we can and cannot be friends with. Amazing. And so we adults, we always are telling our kids... You know, don't bow to peer pressure. You know, stand firm. Be who you are. But let's not fool ourselves. We adults, we're the same way. We get all concerned about what somebody else is going to think about us. What somebody else is going to think about who we are. Well, we can have them over to our house, but our house is, you know, our house is just not like everybody else's house. Really? That's, that's what's important to us? Or, 
you know, our, our job titles are so important. I, I want the title because that says something about who I am or, or the neighborhood that I live in. I mean, we can't live in that neighborhood. We've got to live in this neighborhood. I, I remember when I was living in Atlanta, I just found it so interesting that, that you could be on the same road, but, but at this part of Atlanta, the road was called this, and on the other part of Atlanta, it was called something else. And you're going, why did the name of the road change? It's because the people over here don't want people to think they live on the same road as those people. Wow. So we changed the name of the road. There's so much pressure for us to try to to be something else, including our faith, even with our faith. As Christians in the church, we claim and believe that our relationship with Jesus Christ is more important to us than anything. That our relationship with Jesus Christ sets our identity, sets our being, it's our essence, it's who we are. The fact that God loved us so much that that God would die for us, that He would send His only begotten Son and die for us so that we could be forgiven. Where we were lost and and we were condemned, now we are forgiven, now we are saved and and we're offered everlasting life with Jesus Christ. And and God then has promised that He'll never leave us but gave us His Holy Spirit. So whether we're celebrating the great mountaintops of our lives or the deepest valleys of our life, God has always promised, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I mean, that's our essence, that's our identity, that's our being. But our world out there tells us you need to play that down a little bit. And, and we begin to rationalize that. And we go, well, you know, I don't want to talk too much about my faith because I don't want people to think I'm pushy or judgmental. And... Okay, but if it's the essence of who we are, if it's the essence of our being, how can we hide that? How do we hide that? But yet the world out there tells us you need to stop. Peter was running into the same issue. I mean, when we read the book of Acts, you you see this battle going on between God and the world. And you saw it in the Gospels, but in Acts you really see to where as, as God pours out His Holy Spirit and the church is formed and the power of the church is created and, and this Gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed and in the name of and on behalf of Jesus Christ, miracles are still occurring and lives are being changed, people are being brought to Christ. I mean, it's, it's absolutely this amazing thing, but then immediately there's this opposition that's going, y'all need to cut that out. You need to cut that out. And so the world will try to squelch it, and then God kicks it up a notch, and then the resistance gets stronger, and God kicks it up a notch, and, and you have this battle. Now, earlier on, Peter was a little bit timid. I mean, you might remember before the Holy Spirit was poured out, Peter wasn't always ready for battle. I mean, Jesus said to him one day, Peter, Before the rooster crows in the morning, you will have denied me three times. Remember what Peter said? Oh man, Peter jumped up. He's like, whoa, Lord. The choir made to leave you. But I'll never leave you. Remember that? I mean, he said, the other disciples, now they might turn from you, but I'll never turn. Though I should die. I bet he turned on the preacher voice. Though I... Should die with you. I will never deny you. Remember? But before the rooster crowed in the morning, three times, it was in the court 
courtyard. Remember the courtyard? Jesus had been taken away. He had been arrested. They were preparing. The crucifixion was, was pretty clearly coming. People were mocking Jesus, spitting upon Jesus, insulting Jesus. And then all of a sudden, someone looks around and sees Peter and says, Hey, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? And Peter goes, I don't know the guy. Three times. Because the world was saying, you sure you know him? And Peter goes, I, I don't know the guy. Three times. But now with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, the story of Pentecost, I mean, God's doing some amazing thing. A man that was born lame, now he's able to walk and, and people are bringing out people to be healed and people are coming to faith in Christ and experience the salvation of Christ and, and, and beautiful things are happening and Peter now is bold and in Acts chapter 5, all of a sudden he is brought back before the court. He's brought back in the courtroom before the council because Peter had been told Stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. And Peter goes, can't help it. So they bring him before the council. And, and in verse 28, the scripture says, we gave you strict orders. It was not a polite request. It was not something that we asked you to consider. We ordered you strict orders. Do not teach in this man's name. And yet here you are. You have filled Jerusalem with these teachings. And you are determined to put His blood on us. You are determined to make us look guilty. And Peter, the guy who in the courtyard said, I don't know him, in the courtroom now says, and we must obey God rather than any human authority. I mean, think about who Peter's talking to here. This is not simply about peer pressure. Who is Peter speaking to? He's speaking to the council, the Sanhedrin, the, the, the rulers, the very ones who earlier had the authority and power to crucify Jesus, and they still have the authority and the power to crucify the disciples and to get them killed. And, and so who is Peter talking to? The very ones that before he was afraid would would associate him with Jesus. Now he goes, we have to obey God rather than you. You know what else you need to think about with these people? They were the leaders of the faith at the time. They were the Pharisees, the people who vowed that they would dot every I and cross every T of the Old Testament, those first five books of the Bible, that they would follow every law of God, that they would represent God. And so when Peter looks at them and says, we must obey God rather than you, who's he talking to? The people who vowed that they would obey God. And so now what he's saying is, we have to obey God rather than you because clearly you no longer represent God. Now you know why they wanted to kill him? That's why the scripture says, when they heard that, they wanted to kill him. And they were ready. We got rid of Jesus, we'll get rid of you. And Gamaliel... One of the group goes, uh, guys, can we talk about this for a minute? Uh, would y'all mind taking the disciples out for just a little while? Because we need to have a conversation. And then he says to the crowd, he, he says to, to the leaders and to the council, he goes, now you need to remember that when we arrested them earlier, you were afraid we were going to be stoned because, you know, somebody's baby just got healed in the name of Jesus Christ and a lame man was walking in the name of Jesus Christ and, and people are coming to, to follow him and there are crowds following him. We knew that we might get stoned if we pushed this too far. You need to be careful. 
You need to be careful what you're about to do here. And then he said, and you remember there have been others. There have been others who claim to be somebody. I mean, you might remember Thutis. Remember him? Remember how he claimed to be somebody and he had 400 people that were following him. And, and then when he was killed, what happened? Once he was killed, the crowds dissipated. They went away. They kind of fell apart. The whole thing kind of collapsed. And then there was Judas the Galilean. Remember Judas the Galilean? That he had a group of people following him too. I mean, they, there was a group of people who thought he was something. And, and then remember when he died, what happened? The, the crowds kind of fell apart. They just kind of dissipated. And we need to see what happens here. You need to leave these guys alone because now that Jesus is out of the picture, we just kind of need to see, is this thing going to fall apart? It might just fall apart. It might fall apart on its own. You don't need to be messing with this. And if it doesn't, could be that we're battling God here. That's interesting because Luke kind of looks at Gamaliel as a positive figure, it seems, because, I mean, he tells us he's a rabbi, he's a teacher, he's a member of the Pharisees, a religious leader that committed to, to the law of God, and he was a member of the council, so he had some respect. And, and then Luke says he's respected by many. And if you turn on over to Acts chapter 22, verse 3, you'll also see that before Saul became Paul, and Saul was a member of the Pharisees and, and was a ruler of the Jews as well. Gamaliel was his mentor. Gamaliel was his teacher. I mean, he says, I was trained under Gamaliel. So he appears to come across pretty, pretty good here. And Luke Timothy Johnson, though, is a New Testament scholar, says just be real careful before you fall too much in love with Gamaliel and go, Gamaliel must have been a great guy. Because he said, just remember, Gamaliel was also on the council when they voted to kill Jesus. So we really don't know what his motives are here. Does he really believe this is of God? Has he begun to have? Maybe God is doing something here. Maybe that's happening. And maybe he's being disingenuous going, you know, Jesus is no more than, than these other nuts that claim to be something. But either way, the council believed him, listened to him, agreed with him, and brought the disciples back in. But they couldn't just let them go. They had to flog them first. Normally that was like 39 lashes. I mean, just kind of think about that. That Here these disciples have been proclaiming Jesus. And now they're brought in and they receive 39 lashes. A lot of people died just from the floggings. So, so now they've been beaten and they've been ordered. You are not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. And, and you know what happened as they were leaving? Scripture says, Luke tells us that the disciples rejoiced that they had been considered worthy to suffer for Jesus. I mean, think about that. They're going, at least people realize that, that we're one of Jesus' disciples to the point that we suffered because of our relationship with Jesus. How much of an honor. I mean, you can't be persecuted for your faith if nobody knows you've got faith. The fact that we were persecuted says that people realize we have a relationship with Jesus and we consider that an honor. It reminds me of the old story you've heard before of, that preachers like to share is, and that is if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to get you convicted? And what Peter and the disciples are celebrating is there was enough evidence. There was enough evidence that we 
have a walk with Jesus, that Jesus is part of our lives, that we are Christian, that our identity is in God through Christ to the point that we can now suffer for Christ. I mean, it, it makes me wonder sometimes if we are not struggling a little bit because of our faith, if we're not feeling a little ridicule or a little pressure or a little push because of our faith, we may not be sharing our faith enough for people to know I'm offended by that. And then the scripture says that every day they did not cease to teach in the temple and at home that Jesus was the Messiah. And I think that's important because what Luke is letting you know here is that the disciples, once they were beaten in order not to teach, they didn't just go home and go, okay, and shut the windows and shut the doors and go, okay, as a family, we're going to have a prayer, but you need to be careful because we're going to... They taught in public and in private, in the temple and at home. In other words, wherever they were, I am a Christian, it's who I am. And if I am a Christian at home with my family, I am a Christian at work, I am a Christian when I'm outside, I'm a Christian in the market, I'm a Christian on the ball field. Wherever I am, this is who I am. This is who I am. It's our identity in Christ. Peter says... You may have authority over my body. But my true authority comes from one source. The crucified and the risen Christ. That's the true authority in my life. And I think we have to decide as a church today and as Christians today, are we more like Peter in the courtyard or Peter in the courtroom? Peter in the courtyard. Don't really know the guy when push comes to shove. Peter in the courtroom. We must obey God over any other human authority. I think the church of Jesus Christ in our world today sounds way too much like Peter in the courtyard than we do Peter in the courtroom. We have allowed the world and the pressures and society and all the culture around us to go, you need to play that down. And we've listened. We have taken out our bow. We have taken off our favorite dress or our, our favorite shoes and our favorite shirt or whatever it was because somebody else said something. When God has called the church to influence the culture and the society, to be the voice, the physical presence of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12. Where are we today? Last weekend, we had the privilege of going with a couple families in our church to go to see a play, Uptown Charlotte, called Martin Luther on Trial. I've always enjoyed you know, reading about Martin Luther and some of the things that he stood for. And, and it was a great play, Uptown if you get a chance, if it comes back around to see it again, Martin Luther on trial. It's kind of got a contemporary twist to it. Even Pope Francis shows up. It's pretty cool. But it was, it was a great depiction of Martin Luther's faith and his struggle with the church and with standing up for what he believed. You see, when you read about Martin Luther, you, you begin to hear that he struggled sometimes with, with the fact that the church saw itself as having the power and the ability to forgive sin. And what really threw him, though, was when Pope Leo X decided that, you know, we're going to build this great cathedral. And, and one of the ways we can pay for it is, is when people make a contribution, a significant contribution, 
then, then we'll offer a certain amount of forgiveness of sins for, for whatever they've done in return for this, in return for this offering. We're thinking about doing that here at the church. I think it would be a great way to do, you know, to do some ministry. Is you know, because some of you people are going to write big checks. <laughs> but but Martin Luther couldn't stand it. It was called the selling of indulgences, and he was like, "How dare you? How dare we start selling forgiveness and grace?" See, Martin Luther loved reading the Book of Romans. He loves studying the book of Romans where Paul makes it very clear that we are saved by grace through faith. It's not of works lest anyone can boast. You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot buy your salvation. It is a gift from God through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. It is by grace through faith. Period. Well, of course, that didn't go over so well and so later, as the battle kind of continues between Luther and the church, in 1517, he goes up to the church door and he nails up what's called the 95 Thesis, where he kind of lays out here some of the issues that I'm having. And, and that led to a 1521 court battle or trial or gathering called the Diet of Worms. Now, I always hated that phrase, Diet of Worms. I mean... Especially right before lunch. People talk about a diet of worms. But actually you have to know a little bit of the German and, and the language. Diet simply means assembly in those words. So it meant a gathering. And worms was the town in Germany. So it, was, it simply meant the assembling or the gathering or the, you know, the, the court or the trial or the hearing in Worms, Germany. So it was the diet of worms. You, you can go back to your burgers. But they bringing them up on trial, and they have before him a stack of his books and a stack of his writings, and they ask him, Is there, are these your writings? Martin Luther was a great professor, a great theologian, a man who loved God with his heart. Are these yours? Yes. Then we are demanding that you recant everything that you've said here. And they gave him a day. Next day, he comes back in. Are you ready to recant? And according to tradition, Martin Luther stood up and said, Here I stand. I can do no other. God be my help. Meaning, this is my faith. This is the Scripture. This is who I am. This is what I believe. This is my essence. This is my being. This is the gospel. This is the truth. Here I stand. I can do no other. God, be my help. I think that's what Peter did. He stood before the council. We ordered you. To stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. Here I stand. I can do no other. God be my help. And our world and our culture today tries to get us to play down our faith. Our essence, our being, our identity. 
And may we stand with Peter and with Luther and be the church of Jesus Christ that says to our world today, here we stand. We can do no other. God, be our help. Will you pray with me? God, it would have been so much easier for Peter and the disciples just to have gone underground. To have been quiet. Talk among their friends and their family, but not make a wave. But they knew this is who we are. This is our calling. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not something we can hide under a bushel. The fact that even while we were yet sinners, you loved us enough to offer your only begotten Son, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, we can't keep that quiet. The fact that He was willing to die that we might experience forgiveness and grace, we can't keep that quiet. The fact that He rose again offering us everlasting life with you, we we can't keep that quiet. The fact that you offered us your presence and power of the Holy Spirit to be with us now and forever, we can't keep that quiet. That we are called to be the church, the body of Christ, sharing in the name of and on behalf of Jesus Christ, we can't keep that quiet. We must obey God rather than any human authority. Here I stand. I can do no other. God be my help. The disciples counted it a privilege to suffer for you. The only way that happened was the fact that they were so clearly part of you that others could see it. God, we pray that we would be so much part of you And that you would be so much part of us that others can see it. And that we would be willing as your people to listen to you over all the other voices and pressures around us. God, help us to obey the risen Christ. Here we stand. We can do no other. God, be our help. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Our closing hymn, 514, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. Our altar, it's always open. Here we stand. We can do no other. God, be our help.